Key, your trustworthy host, along with Jojo, your untrustworthy host. I don't know about all that. I'm actually, <laughs> uh, I actually caught a cold, guys. You know, so I might not be as talkative as uh, as I would uh, usually, but uh, I, I'm sure Jojo is cool with that. Oh no, absolutely. JP's sick. So yeah, six ninety nine per pound podcast is back at it again. Um, so I mean. I think after we first recorded uh, our previous episode, uh, some people were asking, yo, why is the name $6.99 per pound? And um, I think just to kind of give a quick breakdown, uh, the name of the show isn't a reference to any contraband or anything sexual, as you might have assumed, you fucking dirty (laughs) motherfuckers. Uh, It's an homage, man, to New York City, uh, New York City's hot food deli culture, more specifically. You know, we're a show featuring interviews with professionals from a wide range of fields and communities you know just like the diverse food options in a new york city deli you know what i'm saying so i mean is there anything else that you might want to add yeah i mean the hot food deli culture was something very new to me i'm an la native but the concept really sold because i'm still struggling to figure out my way into the world and this podcast is a great opportunity to give you guys an assortment of all these different careers and life stories so you can kind of level up and pick up some light lessons along the way. You heard? Drop a gem on them. Drop, drop, drop a gem on them. <laughs> so, on that note, uh, so what you been up to lately, JoJo? So I uh, recently watched this movie called Lady Bird. Have you heard of it? Yeah, I actually did. I actually saw the trailer. That's the yeah. that's the one with the shorty who dyes her hair, right? And has like <laughs> mom issues and shit. Yeah, so um, you actually hit it on the nail. Um, it's... A really classic coming-of-age tale, but with a big focus on mother-daughter relationships. And mm. it really explores the dynamic of, you know, the mom, as you said, who's a really hardworking um, nurse practitioner. They live in a really bougie um, part of town, but in the wrong side of the tracks in Sacramento. And it's about a girl who's trying to figure it out. She goes to a really nice Catholic school. She's growing up around this environment where she always feels like an outsider. She wants to get out of Sacramento and go to New York and go to the East Coast and kind of get away from her mom, who she has this love-hate relationship with. And I didn't know anything about it before, but the production company that distributed it is A24. They didn't like Moonlight. I mean, yeah, that's a, yeah, those guys, they've been coming out yeah, with home runs. Yeah, exactly. So my friends highly recommended it, and it was really great. And I have a really good relationship with my mom. I'm from California as well, and I kind of moved out here. So a lot of things resonated with me, and there are really good scenes of um, you kind of reach a time in your age where you realize your parents aren't perfect. Mm. And it kind of pulled on those heartstrings of some of the arguments that you get into with your mom and 
how uh, you look back on it differently now. Um, but it, when it was happening to you, you didn't really quite see it that way. So it was a really, really good movie. And I haven't seen a movie like that in a while. So mm. it was mm. really good. Okay. It I mean, it's actually interesting that you mentioned Lady Bird because I was debating between that film and Coco. Ooh, oh, Coco. And um, I decided to go watch Coco. <laughs> not because... This was not planned. This no. was not planned. And not because, you know... I'm in love with the Coco, which I'm not, and this, that's a that's a reference to a rap record. You know, just the film itself was very relatable because it covered the Mexican holiday of Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. uh, Dia de los or, Muertos. Yeah, Dia de los Muertos. Yo, your <laughs> Spanish accent is pretty on point. Gracias. Right? Lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, is when people gather to commemorate past family members and ancestors by placing a photo on an altar with food and other offerings. You know, I was able to relate to it 100% because, you know, I come from a very traditional Korean family that conduct and host Cheza, mm, which is same pretty much like the same thing yeah. as what uh, the Mexican holiday, uh, you know, consists of. And, you know, we do like three of those a year, you know what I'm saying? So it's mad different variations, you know, can't even go too much into details about it. So, yeah, that was one thing that, you know, that just made me relate to it 100%. And two, um, just this urge of, the the main protagonist just has this undying urge to venture out to do his own thing whereas the rest of the family wants him to do something that is part of the family tradition and you know me as a knucklehead new york city kid that kind of wanted to break out of this stereotypical immigrant mold you know what i mean like i was able to relate to that and last but not least the protagonist's great grandmother in the film whose name is coco uh, she has Alzheimer's disease, you know what I'm saying? Oh, wow. And, um, you know, I, of course, it's a movie. It's a movie for the kids, and, you know, there's a happy ending and all of that. But, uh, you know, my grandmother, she had Alzheimer's last year, and uh, she passed away last year, so oh, I was able gosh. to relate to that. So, yo, man, after watching that film, yo, son, I was shitting so many tears, yo. Oh, tear jerkers up You know what I mean? J-Key is is an emotional human being, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? When Jay-Z said, sensitive thugs, y'all all need hugs, he was talking about me, you know what I'm saying? I mean, here's the thing, man. A lot of people complain, like, yo, New York City movie ticket prices are going off the charts. I'm like, yo, motherfucker, like, if you got money to spend $18 on a cocktail, you can't spend $20 in a movie, B. You know what I'm saying? fuck out of here if you could spend forty dollars in a titty club for like some frigid fake tits you could spend twenty dollars in a movie b i'm just saying i'm just saying to say what i'm saying you know what i mean (laughs) i hear what you're saying jk loud and clear but to drop a gem on it drop a gem on amc has five dollar tuesday screenings okay so um if you're around an amc on a tuesday you should definitely take advantage of that okay, i definitely need to take advantage of that because i definitely make it rain in the movie theaters <laughs> amc yeah man mm. yo i dropped so much money over there mm-hmm. yeah so much totally money. Yeah. totally mm-hmm. mm. all right so, to get started, we have a really special treat for our listeners today. So, everyone loves a two-for-one deal, and uh-huh. the 699 podcast is all about great deals. Yeah. <laughs> 
And our guest today is a true Renaissance man. Oftentimes, I think a lot of us arrive at a crossroads of balancing our passions and our careers. And we are lucky enough to interview someone who have accomplished just that. So um, I want to introduce uh, Josh Stevens, who is a sports agent slash criminal defense lawyer. So two fields, I have no knowledge on this. So this will be really, really two interesting. Two fields that would create a very good premise for a film. Insanity. Just, yeah. Insanity. Insanity. Yeah. Insanity. Yes. Exactly. So here's a guy who said, I want it all. So welcome, Josh Stevens, to the 699 Yes, please podcast. welcome yeah. Josh Stevens to the 699 <laughs> per pound podcast. Welcome. 100%. Thank you. So, I mean, just, just off the top yeah. that you said 100%, it, I could kind of tell from your lingo, your energy, your mm. dialect, that you are a very much a New York. Yes. New York yes. thoroughbred. Yes. I, I, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Grew up in the city uh, on Roosevelt Island. Wow. Actually. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. So, uh, you know, uh, I would say I always try to uh, captivate, you know, uh, put that neighborhood out there as you take a fishbowl and you take everybody from the city and make them live there. Oh. And it is literally an island where they cannot escape that fishbowl. Right, right. Um, oh, man. You know, I would say it was the, uh, you know, the most um, economically and ethnically diverse place that I'd ever been. Uh, you know, my, my, my building was a Michelama building. Um, you know, where people pay based on their incomes. But then there was low-income Section 8 housing down one side of the street, and then kids from co-ops down the other side of the street. Right. And, and all those kids kind of played together and hung out together. Right, right. Uh, you know, so for me, and, and sports was the um, sports was the common denominator. You know, the good kids would hang out with the bad kids, and that was they were all drawn together through sports is, right. is what I found. Well, what were some sports that you played as a kid? I mean, it was... Obviously, you start out with the uh, you know the organized soccer and little league, uh, but then you get into football and touch football and football in the hallways and oh, then man. basketball and then you know manhunt and then when it snows you try to play basketball, you know you, you you scoop out snow with your feet and try to you know shoot hoops that way. I mean you just that was that's really what it you know. Right. Uh, my experiences were, uh, you know, and my most fond memories were just were, were a lot were like sports. Sports, were, sports right. were, were super heavy. Right. Who are some of your uh, favorite uh, teams that you were growing up watching? So I grew up, uh, so I initially started out a Mets fan when they were good in like the, uh, in the, in the in I'm early, assuming this in the, is yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. Well, well when they, I, I started actually uh, being a Mets fan when they sucked. Like right. before, before like Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden got there. But my pops was a Mets fan. Uh, so I got into it that way, but then uh, Don Mattingly came on the scene. Uh, he was a first baseman and a lefty, and didn't hit for power. And I, I wasn't the strongest guy, and I hit well and, and played first base and was a lefty. And I've always been somewhat of a contrarian. And Mattingly was the guy when the Yankees sucked, when everybody was a Met fan for a little while. Mattingly was like the, uh, you know, the torchbearer for the Yankees. So right. was a huge Yankee. Was a huge Yankee fan in the 80s and then when they got good and everybody started sweating the Yankees like you know you would go to Yankee games and you would see people from Germany and France there like it became the a Yankee, brand it became a brand right. more so than a baseball team right and the Yankees would get got good they won the World Series in 96 but then right. you know they would get to the they would get to you know they would get to the World Series or they would get to the uh, you know the finals you know the ALCS and lose and the fans would go crazy and cry and I'm like oh my Dude, the Yankees just sucked for the last 20 years. Like, stop crying about right, this. You're right, a fake fan. Right. <laughs> so on the nerd tip, I left the Yankees and I went back to the Mets okay. because I so just you're, felt... So you're back with the blue. I am. I'm back okay. with the blue. Well, I mean, there's another type of blue. Yeah, blue and orange. Correct. Yeah, I'm back yeah, with yeah, the blue right, and orange. And I right. think people really like the Yankees 
because of the hat, man. You could wear the hat with anything. anything. Yeah, that's that's right. That hat you can't really rock yeah, with yeah. much. Nah, you can't. You, you can't, can't, right? You can't, yeah. I mean, so, I, I grew up as a Mets fan, growing up in Queens. So you know. So um, uh, you know, I, it, it says that we read that you went to University of Maryland. Correct. Right. How was that experience? Phenom- phenomenal. Uh, I went down there after uh, I went to uh, Brooklyn Tech for high school. Wait, hold up. Let's let's go back. I mean, so you must have done pretty well on the SSAT to get into Brooklyn Tech, or was that even before I that? I was a decent test taker, but okay. I was always good. At, you know, so I didn't do great on the. I didn't do. Are you, are you talking about the Stuyvesant test to get into Brooklyn yeah, Tech? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, whatever. Right. You know, <laughs> there was a ton of knuckleheads in all, right, of, right. in all of those schools. Um, I think if you just had certain some sort of you know God, I I didn't. I don't know. I was one of those guys when I was younger. My effort grade was not the highest. You right. know, I knew I was intelligent, you know, smart enough guy, but I didn't say I would start down there and and study the books the oh. way the way I should have. The kids that sit in the back and get A's. Oh, correct, kids. correct, correct, correct. I would, yeah. I would slide by and get those B's. Yeah. You know, oh, okay, okay. And then yeah. go by, play basketball. Yeah. Yes. By copying the kids who was getting the A's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't Close know how you guys were with that, but I just, <laughs> I did just enough to get by. Yeah, I for guess, sure. You know. gotcha. So how was it like going going to Brooklyn Tech? Phenomenal as well. Uh, super, super integrated again. Right. Uh, I would say at the time, you know, the school was. I would say forty percent black, forty percent Asian, and then twenty percent, you know, between, you know, white and white and Hispanic. I would say, you know, uh, that th- that would be the makeup of that. Right. So that was that was cool in and of itself. You know, do you have people from? My, you know, middle class neighborhood in the city. There were kids that would come up from the Bronx. Kids from, you know, obviously a lot of Brooklyn kids. Uh, there was a at that time in the early '90s. There was a there was definitely a thuggish element to mm. to that school, right. I mean, especially were, considering that neighborhood. Correct, correct. At that at that time and, and the like. But uh, obviously, you know, the education that it provided, the reputation that it provided, was you know was, was strong. Mm. Mm. Um, so uh, so again, you know, I, I would say I. I would say sports. You know, I played basketball. I played. Th- I played up to JV, and then uh, really started getting into you know the hanging out and smoking a little, right. <laughs> a little oh. more. Where where the athletics become a little to the mm. you know not as you know you realize you're not as good as, you know as you, as you should as you want to be, and you know you just lose interest and start finding interest in other things. Mm. Right. Because yeah. when you went to University of Maryland, you majored in poli sci. Right? I did. I did. I was a political science major when I was down there. Uh, you know, you're, you're in D.C. inside yes. the Beltway. You know, it's totally. you're in a suburb of what you know. It's it's effectively you know it's 20 minutes away from from the nation's capital. Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I I had heard from a number of people that law school was. Uh, you know, it was one of those things where oh, you can do anything if you want a law degree. You know that it was it was a lie, right? Yeah, but lie. you've heard that one too. <laughs> like oh, you can get into anything. So I I I took politi- I became a political science major, knowing that it effectively was a pre-law degree. That mm. you know that would be I thought would be classes that would prepare me for law school. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So this is when the sports is kind of in the back burner and you kind of pour yourself I'll into I'll give you, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I was the typical college kid. I don't know how you guys were, but I like to, I don't know, you know, if you don't <laughs> play sports at that age, nobody really knows what they want to do in life, yeah. I don't think, you know, or the bulk of people. I don't know, I was a typical college kid. I like to drink and look for girls, you know? Right. Um, now, how was the scene like in University of Maryland? Phenom- phenomenal. It was phenomenal. phenomenal. <laughs> I would say, though, I would say my yeah. one regret was not 
joining a fraternity, or maybe oh. I'm happy you know about that now. Right. Uh, you know, well, you work as an independent contractor out there. You, right. you know, the fraternity is, uh, you know, it's a buttress. And right, right. You know, yeah, for you sure. You wear those letters. That it's like it's so, you know. But that also taught me survival skills as far as you know, being my own man and mm -hmm. um, you know, figuring things out on my own. Yeah. And the like, yeah, for yeah, sure. So, but those guys definitely had a lot of fun and right. some and some undeserved, you know, and attention. some undeserved attention. Yeah, yeah. Were you like that do uh, Dolo New York dude? Repping, yes. repping for the borough, repping for yes. the city. Yes, I would. Th you know that guy, right? Yeah, you know so that I guy. Think, I yeah. think I was that. I think I was that guy. Uh, yeah. I always remember there was an older kid from my neighborhood. He was a total Renaissance man. He went to the University of South Carolina, like an all city graffiti writer. He was a college soccer player. He like, was an all city graffiti writer. He was an all city graffiti writer. Wow, he, was a okay. college, he was a college soccer player. Um, he ended up going to school with Hootie and the Blowfish, and then coming what? back to New York. Yeah, coming back to New York, and you know, starting a really big set design company. And he told me. Do not join a fraternity, whatever you do. Right. And I kind of looked up to this guy like, right. oh, shit, Tim told me not to join that frat. Let oh me not do gosh. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, Fuck you. him. I shouldn't have listened to him. <laughs> <laughs> so he wants to set the record straight now yeah. for all the Shout kids out, out there. Tim. Rest Shout out to Tim. Shout out to Tim. But yes, 100%. Rest in peace. Man, okay. Rest in peace. My guy, man. Oh, my man. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. Okay, okay. So, um, but yeah, so, you know, I was a typical college kid. I like, you know, look, drink and look for girls. But my roommate, who actually yes. went to Brooklyn Tech uh, with me, was super focused. He was a business major. He's actually gone on to become a successful hedge fund guy, and he knew exactly what he wanted to do when he was 18 years old. Mm. One of the few people. Oh man! So I don't know. I just seen Jerry Maguire or something. I was like, I don't know. Sports agent sounds kind of cool. He was like, <laughs> I was imagining Jerry Maguire when Julie mentioned you because there's that quote where it's like, you know, he had a stint in law school before as well, like that character. So I blame that movie for yeah. a whole generation of people who went to law school to become sports agents, which yeah. is what I did. Oh but I told him, I was like, I don't know, sports agent sounds kind of cool. And he had one of those career books. I don't know if they had them when you guys were in school, but it was like one of those career books you get at Barnes & Nobles or Borders, and you flip through it, and it sees, like, all the things that you need to do to become an agent. And he was mm. like, man, that shit is never happening to you. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So I kind of use that as a little motivation. Yeah, so you kind of proved them wrong in a to, way. So, to yeah. show them that, yeah, you know what? Like, you don't know what the, you know, I'm going to show you. Right, right. So that all, that's kind of got the ball rolling. So I got an internship with the um with the Washington Wizards. Yes. Right. I with saw the Washington that. with the Washington Wizards. When was this? This was after This was the, right when they moved from, from DC the bullets for, to the yes, Wizards. Correct, correct. Gotcha. Yeah, this is when they moved from Landover, Maryland, which was the suburb of DC to downtown nice. to the building that they play in. Uh, so I got an internship with the Wizards and the Capitals, the hockey team down there, worked with them for two years. Wow. And um you know, what was that experience like? Were you around athletes? All that, all that stuff. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, yeah. You're like a game operations intern. I mean, right. you're not really, you know, you're not doing anything, quote unquote, important for the important for those guys. As far as you know, on the player side, you're doing stuff more for the team. You know, making sure the you know X, Y, and Z player has all the tickets. Mm. You know, uh, making sure the parking is fine. But <coughs> you know, for a 20 year old kid, for me, that was pretty. That was pretty fresh. Exciting. Yeah. 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 And then when I got out of when I got out of college, I'm thinking, uh, uh, you know, they offered me a job actually to oh. go and work for them full time you must have been doing a great job handing out tickets yeah it was, it was i was <laughs> amazing at that yeah, yeah, yeah but uh i wasn't able to take the job my parents were actually you know going through a separation gotcha. uh back in new york so i oh, said wow. you know what let me uh let me go back there and help facilitate that because things weren't weren't great at home uh are you a sing are you only child i have 
well, we could get into that. But I have a younger, si- I had a younger sister okay. as well. And then later in life, I've I learned that I had an older brother and an older sister. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, which is cool. Um, but uh, I ended up. Um, I ended up not being able to take that job. My parents were going through the separation, so I came back, you know, thinking that I'm the shit now because I had an internship with two, you know, for two years, you know, with the Wizards. Yes. Right. I sent my, uh, you know, resume out to a bunch of these, you know, sports agencies or agencies that I thought were were and got fucking no love at all. They were like, mm. didn't even get any rejection letters. So <sighs> then I remembered seeing Jerry Maguire and he went to mm-hmm. law school. I was like, okay, I have all these poli sci classes under me. Let me go to let me go to law school. Oh wow. Gotcha. Yeah. So in pol- when you were taking these poli-sci classes, were you kind of checking things off but really having your set eyes set on becoming a sports agent? Or I was just keeping my mind I just keeping my mind open and just focusing on the fact that I knew in order to get the law school without, you know, many many accolades and, you know, I uh, you know, I just knew I needed to be above a 3.0 student yeah. to get into somewhere to just get into somewhere decent. So I just focused on making sure that my, I would end up graduating, uh, you know, above a 3.0. I snuck in all these bullshit clubs to be a member, you know, to be members of, you know, to show that I had extracurricular activities oh. in, like, my last semester. So you know, look great like, on paper. Yeah, like, I joined, like, the Thurgood Marshall pre-law society for, <laughs> oh, like, wow. for, like, black students and stuff, you know? Like, oh, my gosh, just, like, what is this kid Yeah, I was like, hey, I'm going in here so I could put that on my resume oh. to see, you know, how, however it was, you know, just... Right. Not applying yourself from the from the beginning and right. kind of just catching up at right. the at the end. You yeah. know, right, right, I was right. one of those students who, I don't know, a lot of you know, I would study super hard the night before the midterm, yeah. the night before the final, mm. and write that paper the night before it was due. Yeah. I did well, but <laughs> yeah. could have spaced that out a little a little more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you went back because you were kind of trying to harmonize your family back together correct were they supportive of you pursuing law were they supportive of you doing sports or pretty indifferent about what you wanted more so more so with the law i mean every jewish parent wants their son (laughs) to be a doctor or a lawyer (laughs) they're like you know and they my mom especially uh really you know in particular really stressed education so she was completely supportive of me going to law school i mean no one is you know it's such like a politically correct you know, industry to be a part of, and yeah. it's and it's safe, yes. quote unquote. You know, uh-huh. as far as getting a job, so uh, they never they never shunned me from doing that. They mm-hmm. actually saw me applying myself for the first time and like having some sort of goal. So mm-hmm. they were all be- they were all behind that. That's awesome. Yeah. So I kind of get dizzy from like all the different types of law that exists out in the world. So do you, I. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a criminal defense lawyer, which I am. is like a niche. I mean, everything is a niche, but there must have been a time where you were learning about all of these kind of different things. And I imagine kind of there's like a wizard hat, like in Harry Potter, where you're like, oh, you're in this house, or you're in this camp. Were you drawn to this right away or? Well, yeah, yeah. And sorry to, and sorry to cut you off. I mean, yeah. I think criminal defense is one of those things that that, you know, the layperson, the people who aren't lawyers, you know, see it in society every day, whether yes. it's through shows like Law and Order or yes. just in reading the newspapers and the O.J. Simpson case, you know, mm-hmm. just you take a generation, you know, just any generation has like that that criminal defense guy or yeah. that, that element of that. So right. would you agree? So Totally. Like, I mean, they're the most commercialized. Commer- they, yeah, yeah so they, they definitely the, look the most charismatic. Correct. Yeah. Than correct. Like a, uh, than I don't know a lawyer who just has to take care of your pink slip. I know. Cor- in correct. Or they're not just you know quote unquote in the back just pushing paper or yes. you know you know in that corporate world, um, you know they're kind of out there on the front lines, mm-hmm. and so that definitely appealed to me. 
Um, at the time in law school, I honestly didn't really apply myself. And, and you know, you know, typically, if you want to get into criminal defense, you know, the track is you take a number of, of you know, classes, criminal procedure, criminal law. Um, you know, you do you do a lot of it. You try to get an internship with the DA's office. You try to get an internship with legal aid, uh, who are the, you know, the free attorneys <coughs> through the, you know, quote unquote, the free attorneys through the arm of the of the courts. Uh, but for me, I was when I got to law school, I was kind of apathetic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't, you know, again, t- t- uh, truly focused on that. I actually got lucky the way the criminal defense stuff worked out. Uh, but, um, but, but, you know, it, it definitely always appealed to me because it was so such a relatable subject, I think. Oh, yeah. well, what is it about it that was so relatable for you? I mean... Again, just through just through watching, you know, through seeing, you know, you know, important stories, you know, that are in the forefront of the news throughout, you know, throughout growing up, throughout your lives, you know, it's one of those subjects that you can actually, you know, you know, there's a familiarity with it, as opposed to getting into something like patent law, let's say, right? I don't have a science background, so for me, that was just always going to ne- never, be, never be important. In the corporate law, I never thought of myself as a as a super corporate guy. And, you know, those type of firms, like the, the super successful white shoes, they're known as white shoes firms, you know, the elite of the elite, they only hire the elite of the elite, you know, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, the Harvards and the NYUs and the really, really top schools. And then if you go to an average, you know, an average or a, a, a competitive school, you know, such as myself at St. John's, if you're not in the top 10% of those, of that, of, you know, uh, of the of class, classes. you're, you're, you're an it, you, you know, you're done. You're dead on that. You're not right. getting hired by those places, mm. you know. So, um, and that's not to you know, uh, you know, belittle them. I, you know, it's the, the, there's a there's a ton of money and there's a ton of success. I know people. A good friend of mine is you know very happy in his career there. Uh, but for me, the criminal stuff was uh, you know it, it was relatable. I backed into the career. Um, you know, I backed into the career. Luckily, you know, caught a break. Right. Like I think everybody in life needs at some point, uh, and just tried to run with it. Really. So, um, I, I think when we think of lawyers, you know, you obviously, you know, me as an immigrant, uh, second generation, 1.5 generation immigrant, you know, my family. I've never had, heard that term, by the way. Yeah, That's cool. 1.5 mm-hmm. is basically someone who wasn't born in America, but who is naturalized, were immigrated into America, and then kind of grew up. That's um, a cool term. Yeah, I yeah, would yeah, definitely yeah. put you in that Yeah, category. yeah. So that's totally me. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, obviously we had to deal with lawyers and, you know, I, I, I can't say I was the best kid in school either. So uh, after spending a night in bookings, yeah, like we I definitely had to call a lawyer as well. Uh, uh-huh. But um, what was your charge for? Um, it was just, you know, it was misdemeanor. Yeah. yeah. He yeah, needed you just, back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't. I'm sure. So, yeah. <laughs> it was just, uh, it was just, you so know, growing young, up, young, yeah. young boy shit. The decision making yeah, 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 processes yeah. in life. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I feel like there's always the, all these different type of lawyers and all these different terminology and jargons that gets used amongst lawyers, right? So I think one thing that always kind of I wanted to ask a lawyer was what is beyond a reasonable doubt and what what does it mean what what is reasonable doubt like so take it take it like this so and you have the criminal context so just look at oj simpson right the oj this is the you know the cliche case but you know you look at oj simpson he wasn't found guilty in his criminal case right but he was found he was found liable in his civil matter right do you you know that so after the criminal case right when he wasn't we all know that he wasn't found guilty But then his family. But then the, the the families of the victims of Nicole and uh, of Nicole Brown Simpson and um, 
what was the other guy's name? Uh, but, but anyway, yeah. of the two victims, they ended up suing O.J. Simpson for wrongful death, right? To where they can get money to, re- they can get, you know, they were t- able to receive a monetary settlement. Yeah. And he was found liable like that. So the standards are different. So beyond reasonable doubt would be, if you have a 0.1% ch- you know, idea that this person did it, Right. If you have, you know, you if you have a point of a ch- uh, of an idea in your mind that this person did not do it, you cannot find that person guilty. Right. And you need every person on that jury to have that no doubt, no doubt in their minds. Right. So look at that. Like point ninety nine point nine nine percent is not enough. It mm-hmm. needs to be a hundred percent. It, so that's so that's beyond uh, beyond reasonable doubt. All right. Beyond a presumption of the beyond. Um, as far as a civil, as far as a civil case is concerned, you only need to, in order to find that person liable, you only need fifty percent, fifty-one percent, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Okay. So the standards, the standards, standards are different. Standards are different. Yes. Got you. Got you. Is that is that clear? Yeah, that that okay. does make a lot more sense. <laughs> I always used to, you know, because Jay Z have an album called Reasonable Doubt, uh, and I always wonder, like, what does that mean? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I, I, I kind of have a better understanding of what that means now. You know, when I when I listen to rap music, you, you hear about my DA, my parole officer, and, uh-huh. you know, and so on and so forth. But you never quite have an understanding of what these different occupations entail. Okay. So if you could just kind of break down what your job is compared to a prosecutor, a defense. Okay. A public so I, defendant. I, I, I'll, I'll do my best. I'll try to be as. Uh, I'll try to. Uh, maybe I'll just try to take it through the arraignment process, or just I guess just an arrest, right? So. Yeah. So arrests are made in a number of ways, right? A, a cop can observe something happening, or not observe something happening, but make an arrest based on based on on his observations, right? Right. Okay. They also have, an, you know, uh, they can also be informed by somebody, right? Uh, if let's say there's a domestic incident, right, and you know, you know, partner A punches out partner B, and partner B calls the police, right? The police didn't observe what that you know observed happened. But they're basing it. They're they're going to make that arrest based on what that person, what that what person B who got you know who the alleged victim, it's known as the complaining witness, may have told the police. The mm-hmm. police will will take that complaining witness's statements. They will then go and assess the the you know the damages or the evidence or you know see if that person refused medical attention. Um, you know take pictures and then make an arrest off of make an arrest off of that. Right. So. The cops then take the, take that information and they provide that to the district attorney, right? Who then decides what charges that they want to that they want to put on that on that uh, defendant. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the police work with the district attorneys. They work with them, but they're not the same office, right? Because mm-hmm. the police may arrest may arrest that person may arrest the you know the the. Um, you know the alleged defendant, right? And they may charge person. They may say, you know what, he did A, B, and C. Mm. But the DA then gets that paperwork, okay? And the DA takes that all that information. And they say, you know what, he didn't do A, B, and C. He did B, C, and D, mm. okay? Mm-hmm. Which might not be as serious as A, B, and C. Mm. It might be more serious, but uh, you know. So they work with each other, but they don't work exclusively. You know, they they're not on the, they're not another. on the same side. Right. They're not on the same side, in theory, right? The DA is supposed to represent the district attorneys are supposed to represent the people as a whole right Mm. so in a dwi case right you wouldn't want a person driving you know you wouldn't want if you were a parent right you wouldn't want someone driving around drunk because they might hit your kid right right so if that person gets busted and pulled over for a dwi it then be and let's call that person again person a the case then becomes 
the people of the state of New York versus person A. Mm -hmm. So the DA represents all the people in in that jurisdiction where they are. Right. That makes sense, right? right? So they're not all the time, they're not, in theory again, they're not out to get the defendant just because, you know, they might, you know, the cops might have said they've done A, B, and C. They're out to represent the people as a whole mm. and to make sure the people as a whole are protected. Right, okay? right. Obviously, people's personal beliefs, you know, sneak in there. I mean, that's only right. that's only human. Okay, yeah. so yeah. you have the prosecutors, okay, and then you have the defense attorneys, right? You know, uh, who you know fall into a couple categories, right? You have the public defenders, which we refer to, uh, you know, as private attorneys. Mm -hmm. We refer to as legal aid, right? Which okay. are people, um, the in in the. Igni um, indigent, you know, people who can't afford, people yes. who, who don't have, who don't have money mm -hmm. to pay for lawyers, mm -hmm. right? It's great that we live in, you know, in America. Presumably, we're supposed to all have rights, and you get the right to counsel, right? Yes. Presumably, yes. right? But they all, you know, everybody is a, you know, everybody is appointed a lawyer if they don't make above a certain amount of money, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there are pros and cons to that, right? Because you know, you might be, you know, you might, there are you a lot get, of... You might get assigned with somebody that's not as good. Or that's just fresh out of law school, right. or that's just, that doesn't mean that they're not qualified, but they might have a caseload of, you know, 500, 500, 600 cases, whatever the number is. That person... Is that, is that something that it's that actually happens where well, you let's say 100 let's say 100 150 yeah i mean so those legal aid legal aid attorneys might not be able to provide the service otherwise that a private attorney would so be you're able saying to provide. that a legal aid could be having 150 cases running at the same time running at the same time i'm saying i'm oh throwing out that number out there let's say it's 75 cases right whatever the number is i'll get a number of calls from from clients you know, based on, you know, you know what, I can't get in touch with my legal aid. I'm not happy with, I'm not happy with the results or I'm not happy with the service that I'm getting, mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of it is, you know, you want to be, you know, uh, you know, you have your life at stake here or even getting, uh, you know, charged with a misdemeanor and a right. conditional discharge, meaning you just got a misdemeanor and you're released right then and there. That could have ramifications for somebody applying for college, mm. applying for legal, applying for financial aid. Yes. Uh, certain companies just won't hire somebody based upon, you know, if you want to become a police officer, right, in many instances, if you have a misdemeanor on your record from, you know, a poor decision that you made at maybe 19, 20 years old, you might be you might be asked out off of that yeah. based upon yep. based upon that misdemeanor. Yep. In certain jurisdictions, the judge will say the judge will ask the defendant. I know in Long Island they do this in Nassau. The judge will say to the defendant, you know, how much do you make every year? Uh, you know, bring back your tax, bring back your income tax statement, so we can see how much you made and we can see if you qualify for legal aid or not. Because if you don't qualify for legal aid, I'm going to force you to go out and fire and hire an attorney. So basically, if you're poor. You're not going to get the right type of attorney who could represent you. There are some instances with that, right? Where right. if you're yeah. poor, if you're if you truly are cannot afford an attorney, all right. There are there are times where the services aren't applied to you know given to, provided for you that they should because there are other people there are people who otherwise may be able to hire an attorney who for who don't, sure who don't yeah, yeah. okay exactly. gotcha yeah and. You know, listen, you can't, some people maybe want to take advantage of the system. You know, I, I get that as long as it's not you know, illegal. But I would say, obviously, it hurts, you know, the private, you know, the private bar um, with respect to that. And some judges are better than others, you know, with, re, you know, at least are more conscious of the fact that, you know, you're out there um, and certain people, you know, are taking are taking advantage of the system. Yeah. Right. So you have the district attorneys, the legal aides, and then the private attorneys. 
guys such as myself who are, you know, who pick up a number of cases, you know, when, when people feel that they need to hire a lawyer, that either they're just, you know, they're just saying, you know what, I know what I'm going to get when I, you know, you get what you pay for, right? With that, you buy some busted ass sneakers, you know, they're not going to last that long or, uh, yeah. you know, it's just like anything. It's so just, just like your days like in Maryland, you know, out there wilding. As a, as, a, as, a solo, as a solo as a solo mercenary mm-hmm. yeah you're out here you're here you're as an in- days sometimes <laughs> <laughs> you're you're here as an independent contractor correct yeah. yes correct got you. correct which is rewarding yeah. yeah also stressful like anything else um but it's great out that you know it's a good feeling being able to build your practice uh you know little by little yeah right because we were looking at your site and just there are so many reviews that your clients leave you and yes they're you know some of them are like wall of text of just kind of like how much you've really really helped them like even if uh, lessening their sentence or lessening something so their future is a little bit more brighter yes and are there some memorable cases that you've had or um, people that you still keep in touch with after all the time all the time there I mean there you know you I have tried to uh, you know I try to find the good in everybody, yeah. right? I mean, there's some people out there where you're just like, oh, my God, yeah, man, this vile <laughs> mother effer right yeah, here. Just yeah. get out of my life. But uh-huh. 99, you know, 95 times out of 100, you know, you find something good in somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was able to get, you know, I guess one of my favorite moments happened, you know, a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. where a client of mine was uh, – he was a paro- he was a parolee, and he was a you know he was out, he was home he was out on par- he was home he's been home for about three years. Yes. He was out on parole, and he got re-arre- he got rearrested or he got during, arrested during his parole during his parole. Gotcha. Yep, and he got arrested for a curfew violation mm. and driving with a suspended license. He thought or you know whatever the miscommunication was that uh, that that his. You know that he had paid it. That he had paid a number of traffic tickets off X, Y, and Z. That he had tints so on his car. Th- so that type of case is kind of like a minor case. It is, but right. what they did was based on the fact that he's on one of the conditions of parole is you're never supposed to have police contact and right. you're not yeah. supposed to violate curfew. Yes, he's out at ten o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. He's out past curfew and he's had police contact. Mm-hmm. Okay, so again, a minor crime, but the ramifications were serious. Why? Because. You get released on your own recognizance through the arrest, but then you go and tell your parole officer and your 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 PO, as you hear in your yes. rap lyrics, you know what I'm saying? Yes, you yes. go and talk to your PO, and the parole officer says, you know what, man? I like you, but my boss beat it. You're getting violated. You're going to Rikers. Mm-hmm. Pending the outcome of what they say in parole court, right? Right. When he had his parole, now I love this guy. I've known this. He's been a, he's been a loyal client. To, you know, I, I've known him for. I've seen him. I've known him. He's from my neighborhood. I've known him since he was a kid. Oh wow! That guy now has a baby coming on the way, right? Uh-huh. And he's locked up for that. That's terrible. Yeah. That's terrible to be put in parole. You know, to be put back in Rikers Island for a minor crime for a person like me, you, or you. If we would have committed, we would have been home and not have to worry about this. But the fact that he had a prior record, mm-hmm. okay. Dictated the fact that they had to put him back in, put him back in, in, you know, in jail pending the outcome of this parole hearing. Long story short, we we won the parole hearing. Mm-hmm. He got out. He cried like you know he cried oh, no. in fr- you know in front oh. of court and you yeah. know in the parole hearing like it was in the movies. Yeah. Um, and he got home in time to you know be there for the birth of his child. Mm-hmm. So for me that was 
very very rewarding yeah in, right. in, being, sure. in being able to do that you know yeah. i don't know if you know sometimes it's better to be luckier th- lucky than good you know we might have just caught a break however it was but to me that was one of the you know a moment that resonates in my career as far as as far as seeing that stuff work out yeah yeah that, that's so good to hear because i think there can also be a lot of misconceptions <coughs> of being a criminal defense lawyer and like you know oh, really <laughs> <laughs> you know like some people i was just kind of researching a little, a little bit and there are crazy questions like why do you like defending criminals you know uh-huh. that are very like brash and but then there's so much more nuance to that like you just said of like there is inherent bias in the system you know exactly and there's there's inherent bias in the system and also listen my, people ask me that all the time my mom in the beginning would go he practices bad guy law you know like <laughs> just being a mom I'm like whatever it is but I get you know like I get that there's perception I've had a million people like how can you be out there representing these people and sleep at night and I mean oh my, my answer to that is my answer to the fact you know to that is is simple on a number of levels number one if I wasn't doing it somebody else would be doing it mm-hmm. alright number two we live in America and presumably again we're all supposed to have these rights so the bad people, the accused people, should be entitled to the same rights as the unaccused, as, as the people who aren't accused, mm-hmm. right? And so the good, so if the bad people don't get the rights, the good people won't get the rights, right? And they mm-hmm. would end up locking, you know, pr- you know, pr- you know, potentially locking up the good people, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On top of that, right? You've made bad decisions. You've made bad decisions. I've made bad decisions. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're bad people. Right. That could just be a lapse in judgment one time in their life. The cards are also stacked against a lot of people from some poor, some some terrible socioeconomic situations. Right. Where there's there's a lack of education, where there's a lack of, you know, of family stability Mm -hmm. that that that, you know. That plays into shitty decision-making processes and no, people making... No, it just seems like what you just said about this guy who just uh, fucked up during his parole and then he could have been back in Rikers, spent more time, maybe even mm-hmm. commit a crime when he was in Rikers and that would have been another case, Correct, another and that's case. all of us paying for him to be there. Exactly, right? that's all of our taxpayers' money, yeah. you know, uh, to be there. So that that's why I can do this with, you know, a straight face and fall asleep, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and, and sleep well at night, mm-hmm. all right? Because you can always find, especially for me, I can always find some good in somebody. Um, and, you know, there, are, there have been those, you know, those few cases that have been so heinous or so egregious to me that, you know, I didn't want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that those people didn't deserve rights either. Yeah, mm. exactly. So I work for Great Big Story, which is um, we acquire different films. And one of the films that we acquired this year was this piece called Am I a Man? And it was uh, featuring Brian Stevenson. And he was talking about the criminal justice system. He's an American lawyer. He's a professor at NYU. And he has a really great quote where he says, um, the opposite of poverty is not wealth. And in too many places, the opposite of poverty is justice. And I think you kind of touched on a lot of themes of that, of how some people are set to fail and some people are you know, seen as not deserving. And I think you're kind of here every day and like seeing these people and you're talking to them and there's humanity so I think it's really cool that they're um, there especially these days when in this political climate a lot more things are coming out of unfair cases sure it's it's I hopefully the perceptions change a little bit and the questions towards you change a little right. bit right and I feel like you brought up a really good point because um, I feel like you know what were some cases where you just felt yeah. like that the system has kind of failed your client or 
maybe a case that you felt like it was a very difficult case that you had to touch upon? I just, I mean, I, I had a, I had a case where it was a kid. He was a 16 or 17, or uh, I would, I would. He was in his, he was in his teens. He's probably 19 by now. Yeah. But he was at a house party, and there was a report that there was a gun there, and they arrested everybody in the house. Mm. They arrested. Oh my gosh. They arrested 20 people in the house, right? So you can't go around and arresting did they, did they everybody, hit, did they right? They hit that if, with a gang charge, or. They hit no. They just they, they, there was it wasn't anything gang uh, gang affiliated. You know, I'd have to you know these millennial kids now they post all that the, right, the right, right, gang right. related yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. They, mm-hmm. right. I tell they're a lot crimin- of these clients they're criminalizing themselves. I tell these guys, <laughs> yeah. I go, you guys are giving yourself up. This is crazy. What are you doing? Posting. Yeah. With the with the gang, it's it's in, it's insanity. Yeah, yeah, but that's that plays into the lack of education. Snitching on and yourself. Snitching on yourself, but that yeah. just plays into the environment and just you know the whole, you know the whole showing off culture mm. that there is. But I, I'm like, how can you? I told the DS, how can you charge twenty people in that house or you know fifteen people in the for house for one gun? For one gun, it's just complete. You know, I there's there's something called constructive possession. But I go, it's impossible that you're going to get everybody to you know to cop you know to to, to prove that every person's going to take this right. So you just put all those people through the system. And obviously, you know, these kids were from, you know, lower income neighborhoods and, you know, different, you know, similar denominations, poor, you know, poor families and the like. It's that was wrong. Mm -hmm. That was wrong in and of itself. Um, And you see that kind of, you know, you can't you kind of see stuff like that all the time, you Mm -hmm. know, for guys getting pulled over with tints on their cars Mm -hmm. and the like. And the cops will always say, you know, they had a tint reader. Where nine times out of ten they don't have they don't have a mm-hmm. you know they, there's a gauge you know, that they say that they have a, a meter to read to read you know the, what, what the is, severity what, what is of the tent. What is that? What is the tent? It's some sort of apparatus where they have that they can tell like if the tent is too is too uh, is too strong on it's a too car. Strong too strong or dark. not? Correct, correct. Whereas you you don't know this, but a lot of cars that you buy off the lot. Those tents are already there. Sometimes it's just a custom car, right? With yeah. that, you know. Right. But they'll use that as a reason to pull that person over, mm-hmm. and then you know, go through that person's car. I'm not saying that everybody's innocent, because everybody isn't innocent, obviously. But you know, there's a, uh, yeah, there's obviously, you know, there, there, there's a way. You go on Manhattan, you go on Manhattan Criminal Court, Manhattan. You know, the most residents and most of the people, you know, you. Uh, you see, you don't see many people from lower denomination, you know, from from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. Right here, you go into that courthouse, you see people from lower sec, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds by and large. You know, in they're court. rarely, yeah, Manhattan right. criminal court. They rarely, you rarely see the white guy in a suit, or you really see the corporate guy. You know, uh, you know, obviously those, you know, there's some federal white collar crimes and stuff where those guys get prosecuted, but you rarely see those type of people in there. Okay, you know, the white collar, and you know they're doing. You know, I mean, without sounding judgy, you know, there's a lot of drug use going on. Right. Somebody's exactly. selling those guys those drugs. Right. Exactly. But it's that they leave a lot of. It's. It, it seems that there's some selective arrests that are going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's more from the NYPD. The prosecution, the prosecution, a lot typically, a lot of times, just takes cases that come through their office. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have detectives and certain investigators that go out there and do their own work, but they get that through the NYPD. And so, um, you know, put it this way: the people that you see in, Man- in New York County Criminal Court, Manhattan, and 100 Center Street, do not reflect the demographics of Manhattan itself. Of yeah. the population that's living in Manhattan. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. That would be, that. in my humble opinion, that would be the case mm-hmm. with yeah. that. So when you have to like walk your clients through the process, right? Like they kind of come in and they're like, oh gosh, like 
what am I going to expect? What am I going to do? Can you walk us through what you would like the steps? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the best thing to do that I try to do is set expectations. Okay, mm-hmm. I tell them, I tell them. Listen, I go. You know, you have there's an attorney-client privilege. Okay, and that everything here, you need to tell me the truth. Okay, because if you don't tell me the truth, I'm unable to do my job effectively. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if I'm not able to do my, undo, uh, you know, do my job effectively, if I don't know everything that you that you know, if you're with, you know, withholding anything from me, I can't do my job, and that only hurts you. So I tell them that I see what charges they could be facing if they have yet to be arrested, or what charges that they are, you know, what they have with. I you determine their prior criminal history. All right, you look for mitigating circumstances, meaning the good things in their lives and certain, you know, certain reasons behind that. And you go and fight that case. This is all very much fascinating stuff, but um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about your career as a sports agent. I completely forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's why I have you... no hair. No, nah, but um, so, I mean, it feels like it's, a v- two, it's two very different type of jobs and it's very different type of arguments unless you are defending somebody's football players yeah. getting into charges but like that i guess that would be a cohesive job yeah. then you yeah. know mm-hmm. but yeah. you know but uh yeah so like how when did you so after i'm assuming that you started working as a defense attorney first no no oh, okay no. so you were working no 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 so that was that was my passion so the football sh- the, 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 the that was my that was my dream right Right. that was like working as a sports agent that was the passion project that I always had right so when I was in law school I didn't really focus on anything with respect to the criminal defense but I you know I I took all this you know the classes I thought would prepare prepare me for to be an agent Mm -hmm. I took all I took sports law contracts entertainment all of that stuff that I thought would get me to that to that spot. Um, I didn't know anybody in sports, but I knew a couple people in, in the music world. So I went and worked for you know a pretty big entertainment a, a pretty big entertainment attorney uh, in a, in, a, in hopes of trying to segue from that world into from the music world into into sports. I hated the music world. It was just a <laughs> bunch of dick riding and just you end up talking about the music all day. And I ended up hating rap for like a good five months because <laughs> oh, no. I just it sucked. Mm-hmm. It sucked. It made me hate. It made me just despise the music just seeing uh, it was great it was we i did not i did not anticipate that happening but it did <laughs> yeah like right? it, i mean I, it happened it happened you know to me one? as well oh, yeah, so you yeah, know that yeah, one, right? i know exactly okay. what you're talking about just uh, the people want to be down with it. it just it just i ended up literally not you know becoming disgruntled with that um so that was my i was like, oh shit i kind of lost my shot because there would be people from the sports world on the periphery um when i got out of law school i'm thinking okay i passed the bar exam let me go and apply to a bunch of these bigger agencies now, you know, like I'm thinking I'm the shit. I worked for the Wizards for a couple of years. I was, uh, you know, I, I, I did the Sports and Entertainment Law Society. I could apply to a bunch of these agencies and get and get something. Mm. I was completely naive, man. Mm. I sent my resume out to everybody and got no love at all. They were like, beat it, kid. Not even beat it. They, I just didn't hear from them. So... I was like, you know what? Fuck that, man. If they're not going to put me on, I'm just going to go out and do it on my own. I didn't yeah. want to be 60 years old going, oh, I should have, could have, I could have, would have, should have done this. I, you know, I should have done that. So without knowing anybody or anyone, I just went and got licensed by the NFL Players Association in 2005. How, how do you do that? You take it, you pay them money and you take a test. So it's basically like getting a driver's license? 
Yes, but it's just like a $2,100 driver's license, <laughs> and when you're a broke as yeah. law student, um, you know, guy just got a license. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and you got to take it. You know, got to take a test. So I went and did. I went and did temporary legal work, right? Where where I met one of your colleagues yes. al- along the way. So I went and did temporary legal work, which was soul draining and oh, and, no. and, and, and gut wrenching and spirit crushing. <laughs> that's the word. Long story short, it was able to bridge some time. I was able to pay the bills. But there was no accountability at it, so I didn't really need to take it that seriously, and I could try to pursue the football stuff. Mm. So I said, you know what? There was a kid, like, you know, I would always, you know, I would research who was good, you know, who could play and all that stuff. I was like, yeah, there was a kid from New York City uh, who was going to Syracuse at the time. And I said, you know, when I just got licensed, I said, you know what? This is the guy I'm going to go and find and talk to. You know when he's when he's coming out. Long story short, the kid who was coming out ended up living on the same block as the, my my boy as my boy from college. Mm. Oh. Uh, who told me I was never going to be a sports right. chaser? Wait, <laughs> like, oh, full circle sh- in the Bronx. I was like, oh shit, man, this is crazy. So I ended up I ended up recruiting the recruiting the shit out of that kid. Because when you're an agent, you gotta, you know, it's a hundred percent commission-driven business. There's mm-hmm. no salaries. There's no. There's no nothing. You gotta lay all the money out and do everything on your own. I ended up going and signing that kid. He had a career with the Cowboys, the Chiefs, the Lions, and then you signed this kid. I signed this kid. Oh you just went gosh. after him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I this flew up there. Guy? I gave up. I gave up Thanksgiving to like go and sign him like the day. And you, the day you after had never no experience doing this before. None, 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 none. It was just me getting to know him and me just pitching him and hustling him for lack of a better word and he'll tell you that too you know right. he sensed well, it in me he sensed it in me New York, you know talk about New York shit or whatever right. it is and you know get it that way right with all that I had I you know it was the perfect storm what type of kid it was he was Jamaican immigrant hard-working kid did well, really, what was he playing he played the... corner he played okay. corner and safety okay. yeah ran ran like the wind and everything uh, completely smart and had other things going on in his life where football didn't work out, you know, he was going to be okay, mm. which ended up being a detriment for me because he ended up quitting the NFL. Oh. How many years in? A year in. Oh, right? no. Oh, man. You don't even understand. So man. he just had <laughs> one contract? He had, he had he signed with the Cowboys, got cut by the Cowboys, signed with the Chiefs, got cut by the Chiefs, signed with the Lions, and was with the Lions, right? For how, for how many games? For like two games? For a year, for like two games, okay. right? Because there's a lot of bouncing around in the NFL because right. the injury rate in the NFL is 100%. Right. So oh, man. there's a lot of turnover and there's just you know their body their bodies they're right. literally they're they're cattle right they mm-hmm. don't care about the human being they care right. about you know can, what can you do for me right now so he called me like at 6 a.m on a on like a wednesday and he was like man i don't want to be bouncing around i could go to grad school right now i could do all this i go you motherfucker <laughs> like, but i didn't want to be that selfish agent guy right. like oh this is my career too <laughs> i was like yo I'm fucking heated, but I respect it, man. Like oh you gotta God, go and do a other things. <laughs> but I, I, mm. I probably should have been more of a dick about it. Mm. Why? While you were doing this, were you still keeping the other job? Yeah, I was. I remember I was in a stairwell, like at the other job, like whispering in the kid. stairwell, like wanting to yell. But I was like, oh, man. <laughs> Julie will tell you how that world oh, is, but. Man. Did you have other people also, or was so, it just all in so on him? I was, so I, I had a couple guys that year, but then my plan was he had a couple guys, like a, like a couple better players younger than him. Yes. Who he, my plan was he was going to go, yo, you need to hire Josh. He's the fucking, you know, yeah, he's the best he's the right man. then and there. But with him not playing in the NFL, it didn't give me any, you know, credibility or street cred. So I was, he's like, yo, I'll help you out. I'll do whatever I can. But long story short, the web just kind of grew. 
and I would end up signing guys, or I would end up, you know, getting, you know, getting, getting players, you know, coming out of school. They were like, "Yo, Josh, we love you, but you know, you haven't signed. You know, you're missing like that big star. Like, what have you done for me lately? This is my only chance in the world to make this money. Mm-hmm. I need to be safe and secure and confident in the person that I'm going to work with." Yeah, this is like and Jerry I, Maguire, yeah, like and, that classic scene. And I saw that, and I saw that, and I said, "You know what? They're right. I hear what I hear what they're saying." If you're gonna, if you have the potential of making fifteen, twenty million dollars, yeah. you want to go with someone with some experience. I mean, that's only human nature. It's it's nice to be the nice guy and give somebody a shot, but at some point, you know, you get it. So I ended up, I ended up recruiting this kid in uh, in 2012 who was going to be like my first big player. Mm-hmm. You know, you call typically you call guys and you know, ju- you know, th- before their before their senior season, you get in touch with them around you know around June. You call them up, you go and meet with their families, you go and, you know, you go and do all that. And at the end of the season, you have the big meeting to try to sign these guys. Yeah. The last meeting, the kid was playing at the uh, at a bowl game at Yankee Stadium. It was like the night before Thanksgiving, you know, Christmas. It was a snowstorm. I go and meet with him. He wants to meet with me. He shows up, fucking twisted. I, he was just the biggest dick in the world. And I was like, oh, you know man. what? Good riddance to this guy. I don't even want, you know, mm. God bless. It would have been nice to sign him, but, you know, you're doing me a favor by not signing you because I could be a subordinate and work for somebody, but I, my dick riding skills, they suck. <laughs> right. They're terrible. Right. It's been a detriment in my <laughs> right, life. Right, you know right. what I'm talking about. It's right. No nonsense. It's been terrible. I mean, not terrible, but it's been, it's definitely, I've definitely taken some L's on that right, one. Right, 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 right. The beat goes on. Uh, but I ended up finding out, you know, who, who, who the agent who this player signed with. I started checking him out. And I was like, yo, I like this guy, man. Like, I kind of wanted to hate, hate the dude. But I was like, I like this dude. He lived in Fort Lauderdale. So I, this agent. This another agent. agent. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, another agent. And agents are notorious, especially in the sports agent world, notoriously competitive. Right. But, you know, yes. they, so, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, like, everybody is hosting all these kids coming out of school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like these a kids, shark that's, like, correct, circling correct. the... These kids are used to having their, their balls licked since they've been kids, oh right? Because players... So, sorry for my friend. I, it's okay. If I'm being too... No, no, it's no, all you're good. You're straight. Right? <laughs> this is great. JK has the biggest smile on his face. He's like, I found my person. These players are used to, you know, being told that they're the, they're amazing the for their whole lives, yes. right? And you have, you know, there's only 1,800 player, only, only 1,800 paying jobs in the NFL, and there's like 2,000 agents, right? So everybody knows oh, who the good man. agents are. Unlike music, 1,800 players, players yeah, and 2,000 agents. Yeah, there's 53 guys on a team, right? And there's 32 teams. So do do the math. Yeah, yeah, I get you. I get you. And so. Unlike, so at least like a few hundred of those agents are not eating that season. Not at all. And gotcha. you only have three years to sign one player. Or mm. If you don't sign a player, like put a guy on a team, they take your license. So it's 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 even extra competitive. So that, so right? once your license gets revoked, do you get another chance? You got to go and take that test again. Okay, that twenty one hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, and so unlike so unlike the arts and unlike music and un, uh, and that world. It's where it's a lot more subjective. In sports, you're either good or you're not. It's like, just performance. It's all numbers. Yeah, it's all numbers, yeah. right? Like, you can have, you can listen to one artist and ten guy, you know, ten people, can, you know, eight people can say, "Oh, this this guy sucks." Right. But the two other guys who are the decision makers can be like, "Nah, his shit is hot, man. Let's sign this guy." Yeah. yeah. Where in sports, it's like, yo, if you end up not, if you end up sucking, you you you, yeah. you suck. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, yeah. like that's it. Everyone wants the same. So player. everybody knows who the good players are, who the potential of the good players are being. So that's what makes it ultra competitive. Long story short, I ended up calling on this agent 
and hustle, not, you know, pitching for, myself to Lauderdale. him and for, and for Lauderdale and pitching him and hustling him like, yo, listen, I'm I'm Josh Stevens, man. I've been doing X, Y, and Z. You might have even been there. I might have even shown Julie the letter. Oh. I might have even shown Julie the letter like, yo, this is the guy I want to talk to. And saying, you know, I ended up pitching him and we've become super close over the years. And he's been doing it around 21 years, gave me a shot. Mm. With respect. So he kind of like brought you on. He did. He like did. a mentee. He's like, he's like, he's like no, I, he's like, not even a mentee. Like, listen, you can, you know, you work with me now, but you got to go, on, because it's a 100% commission-driven business, go out and make your own way in this world mm-hmm. with this stuff. But you have the now, you know, it gives you a lot of more credibility. Right, because you're under or you're working with this other guy. Correct. What's crazy in life is, though, as this break happened, the criminal defense thing opportunity really blew up. And oh. so I started having... These That's parallel. where the dual. I started having two careers. Right. I was like, "This is because when it rains, it pours, man." When it rains, a hundred percent, right? Mm. It's so weird. And I was like, "You know what? I can't give up on either one because you're not, you're not there where you want to be with your dream as far as the sports stuff is concerned." But now you're finding a career that you know you enjoy, that you can make a difference in. That you know, if you do well, it you know there's there's some financial rewards with that. So I effectively ended up having two careers going simultaneously, That's which amazing. was probably oh why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so how do you balance? I think balance would be the key word to describe your career. I mean, he's from New York, man. We all balance like five different things. You we do, have, right? Like, three baby mamas that we don't know about. You know, all types of situations. There's a lot of. I want to know about those baby mamas, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of situations, man. A Plural. lot of situations. There's- from LA. Okay. Yeah, so I'm from LA, so you know, I'm coming in. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm spiritually balanced, but <laughs> and we try I like to, to be focus too. on one thing at a time. Sure. And, and yeah, I guess because I'm very practical, or I, I, in high school was when the financial crisis happened, so it was very much like, you know, get good at really one thing and focus on that thing and just pick a career that is predictable, practical, just like the things that you've mentioned before. So I'm very curious to your career and that you've balanced these two things. And one of which especially is very volatile in terms of it could be up, up, and down, down. Uh-huh. So how do you go it's about been, balancing it's been, it's this? Definitely, it's definitely a challenge. And you definitely have to, you know, you kind of you go with, what's, with, with what the hot hand is at the time, right? Yeah. The criminal defense the last couple of years has been successful. And so, you know, you still want, you know, you want to build, build a career and plan for the future because if the football, if the, if the agency world doesn't work out, you know, you know you have something that's going on. That being said, the agency thing is your passion project your passion and you know what kind of you know what really what really makes you fucking hype Mm -hmm. and you know whereas I was like listen if I can make a hundred grand a year doing this give me that and I'll do that in in a heartbeat you know but those jobs are so hard to get you know, I had to get something else that was that was go. You know, that was gonna you know be a sustainable career, and fortunately, the criminal the criminal defense world you know kind of emerged with mm-hmm. that. But I have not given up nor stopped with the football at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, I talked to the agent in Fort Lauderdale who's do, who does it very very well, who has a great practice, who's a great guy, and he's always like, "Oh, come on, let's go, let's mm-hmm. go." I'm like, "Oh, I get it, <laughs> but I got a career up here as well." You know, it's for sure. It's one of those things where I just don't ever want to give it up because yeah. I kind of you know. Because I'm never going to quit on mm-hmm. something, and it feels as long as you have, as long as you have, I think, a career going on, to be able to, you know, pay your bills and sustain a life. Why would you ever give that up? Yeah, at, at some point, anyway. I, totally. I, don't, I don't think that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I've given up that dream to play first base for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. So 
um, what are some commonalities would you say between the two worlds? In that you, I think you're successful in both, and you kind of have a personality that's been been suited to survive in both of those worlds. Thank you very much. <laughs> by the way, so I'll be quick. So the number, so the number one thing that I've that I found that I always think of, especially with criminal defense, yes. the fact that you've been an agent, you always have to return the call, you always have to answer that, you always have to provide that service and be on point for somebody. With criminal defense, it's it's trained me to do that. It's trained me to always oh. answer my phone. It's trained me to always get back to that person. It's trained me never to take somebody for granted and to just provide the best services as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. Wow. Do you have two cell phones? You do. I do. I do. Don't hold that against me, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think if if there's one rule of thumb or like a mantra that you have uh-huh. Uh, what is it? Good? What, what, what would that be? I would say this: It's easier for me to be nice. It's easier to be nice than mean, man. Like you have to go. I have to go out of my way to be a dick. <laughs> I guess you know. Uh, mm-hmm. You know. You have to exert. To me, you have to exert a lot of energy to not be a nice person, to be rude. You know, to 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 be on to be unfriendly. You should treat every. I mean, as cliche as it sounds, everybody should get treated with respect and given the benefit of the doubt. Um, and you know, you'll get more. It's more rewarding that way. You know, you you walk around with this negative energy. That shit is gonna follow you at all times. Mm. Mm. And I think um, the other question is, what is one significant uh, relationship? that you've had, it doesn't have to be uh, personal or love or it could be professional, but what is one significant relationship that I you I got have? really, really lucky in the world of criminal defense where I fell in with some ama- you know, some, some very seasoned pro- you know, former prosecutors from the Brooklyn DA's office um, and, then, uh, and then who are in private practice, John Rapaway and Kenneth Montgomery. You should get one of those guys. You should get Kenny on the show. Kenneth Montgomery <laughs> is a very well-known name. That's yeah. my, wow. Those are my guys. I mean, like, gotcha. so they have, they have he, he was he was in the Bobby Schmurter case, correct, right? Correct, correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kenny is, I mean, they effectively, I mean, they're great friends of mine, but they've become, you know, they were mentors, teachers, however it is. And for those Are all guys, the hip-hop affiliated lawyers all friends? Like in New York City, do you guys <laughs> have your know. own group that's chat? That's a hip-hop, I don't know if that's a hip-hop thing or not. Because I, I feel like you guys, have a, you guys have like a similar, I mean, you know, obviously he's black and you're white, <laughs> but like, you know, you guys have like this hip-hop energy that you guys probably share. I think share. that's a, more than hip-hop, or is it, yes, is it an New, age thing? I think it's a New York. I think it's a New, New York, York thing. I think it's yeah. a group, like a native New York commonality. Right. I mean, there's a, there's enough you know similar experiences, even though he's from freaking Brownsville, you know, right. you know, wild wild right. era <laughs> era from that. Where yeah, it's like, yeah. You hear that name, you're like, I'm running, you know. But like, yeah, we've gotten we've gotten very close, and those guys have always been, especially when I started out, you know. They would always be there to answer questions and, you know, anytime, you know, and they had families and children and just really kind of went out of their way to help me out. You know, I've second sat trials with them. I've been, I've, I've seen everything and I can get their ear to this day. And I think, you know, for those guys, you know, you know, personally, those guys have really, really looked out for me and mm. enabled me to, you know, to have a career with this. You mentioned earlier in the interview that uh, you kind of had this situation where you had to go home and kind of take a break and put your family back together. Uh-huh. Just wanted to follow up with that. And if I could ask what happened and did you successfully stitch it back together? I did not successfully oh, get no. them back together. But you know what? Those things all come around. Uh, so, yeah, my parents were, you know, they were living, while I was in school, they were living under the same roof and writing letters to each other, like super dysfunctional, you know, typical, oh, wow. you know, dysfunctional middle class 
shit, man. And, you know, uh, I always felt that they probably should have gotten separated earlier in the game and, 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 and stayed together for to keep up appearances. Or maybe they just were struggling, you know, didn't really know what to do, you know, you know, kept together for the kids. They definitely, especially my mom, they definitely, you know, gave 120%. As far as being a parent's concerned, sometimes that effort gets maybe mis misplaced, um, you know, into your into your own means. But so my dad, so when I get out of school, you know, they're living under the same roof and writing letters to each other. And I, I told my dad, I was like, "Yo, you got to beat it, man. Like, like mm-hmm. this is not healthy for anybody right now." And then I know I'm your son, and I'm telling you this, and this has got to hurt, but you got to go. Um, because you know, living in this, you know, that's just you know, kids shouldn't have to see that. How old are you? Just twenty-two. You know, which so I'm, I'm, you know, twenty-two. I, I don't think the mind is really fully developed till your mid twenties, or maybe never. Mm-hmm. But you know, you probably you know start you know really deducing things. Mm-hmm. He ended up getting an apartment in Brooklyn, and I went to law school, and. Uh, you went to St. John's, which I went is to in Saint Queens. G- I went to St. John's, yeah. The, yeah. Two fair zone Queens. I had no idea what that shit was. <laughs> uh, like, uh, so I go to, I'm going to law school, you know, and the night before I get home from my first test from law school, my sister's now out of, my sister's now out of college, so uh-huh. she's living at home too. She get my, my younger sister gets a call from this, you know, from this woman. The night before my first test in law school gets this call from this woman, Josh, I, or she says, I just want to let you guys know that I am your older sister. Oh, my God. That I am your older sister. <coughs> you have an older brother. Your dad was married before your mom. And everybody knew about everybody knew about it except for you and Joshua. Yeah. So. Oh, my God. That was uh, obviously, you know, that that throws any that throws anybody for a loop with that. You know, so, uh, you know. There was a time of feeling sorry for myself, and then there was a time of anger, you know, towards my mom and my and my dad because you know to to, to live a lie like this for me for no reason was uh was very frustrating. You know, it was just it, it, it was it, it sucked. Yeah. And then, you know, you then obviously you know it's tough to focus on school when you're angry at you know kind of you know your whole life sort of you know. Not to be on some fresh print shit, but yeah, <laughs> turn up <laughs> like, yeah. like that's a that's a shocking thing. Where every you know your parents are teaching you all these values about being righteous and you know putting forth this really effort, but then there's a big lie that's going on as well. Mm-hmm. So that was that was super tough to deal with. Uh, it's sim- it's uh, so my brother, my half brother, ended up living you know ended up uh, w- you know when I found out about him was living in Vegas and I had so I found out about this around Thanksgiving like right before you start your your, your exams my my half brother was living in Vegas at the time and I coincidentally had a trip to go to Vegas for New Year's mm-hmm. so I call him up you know and we ended up having lunch and it was the most awkward shit in the world oh to like kind of see some guy who walks into the room who was walking like you and looking like oh you my and gosh. he was like what and they've known about you your whole life but you haven't known about them so but it's weird for both of us yes He's show, we go back to his house. He's showing me pictures of like my dad with this other woman. Oh my gosh! Well, bugging out over that. Yeah, you know, like total white trash shit. Like I told mm-hmm. my mom, I said you could have been a mass murderer because you could live down the hall from me. You could, you know, these people could have lived down the hall from us, and I would have had no idea 
that you that these people existed. Like mm-hmm. to keep a secret like that is is insane. Yeah, I I can't imagine going through that. It's like insane. how I would recover. Like uh-huh. I'm 26 right now. Like that age and like little things or little rejections. Like it takes me forever to recover from them. And I think now you you kind of you know round it out. But in when you were at that moment of like at your most bitter state, uh-huh. um, how did you work through that? I I I think I think if, if through friends, you know, mm-hmm. like through 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 crying and and you know having friends that you're you're being secure enough to, you know, be emotional around your friends and um, you know and get to a point of you know listen and you know and not looking at yourself as a victim and saying, I guess the one thing I I always did and this is maybe selfish and self-serving. I always said, you know what? I could be living in fucking Afghanistan right mm-hmm. now, or you know, I could be living, you know, you know, in Darfur. Yeah. So things could be way, way worse. Mm-hmm. Is how I looked at it. Yeah. I really looked at it like in those in those terms, and I said, you know what? Whatever. You have a brother and a sister. You don't need to. You know, I'm. I was really just more angry at them. I was more angry at my parents, mm-hmm. and I use it as a crutch mm-hmm. to be angry at them and to really not apply myself during school mm-hmm. um, and that's just you know uh, I guess it's again you know to you know to use a cliche what doesn't kill you makes you to get to what doesn't kill you mm-hmm. makes you stronger mm-hmm. and this was definitely one of those uh, one, you know one of those hurdles and moments that I've had to overcome over, you know uh, overcome I remember being in Vegas two years ago and uh, my sister, you know, you know, threw a barbecue, and you know, my 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 brother was there with his, you know, with his niece and his wife and her mother and their mother was there, and I don't know, it just felt like family. It just felt perfect yeah. being with them. It was like it was like I've known them my whole life. Yeah. It felt so cool to be a part of, uh, you know, to to be a part of that, mm-hmm. and to have gone through a traumatic experience, you know, with the family that I thought was yeah, my family for sure. Uh, so what are some advice that you might uh, give to a recent law school graduate who might want to pursue a career in uh, becoming a criminal defense attorney? Okay. In becoming a criminal defense attorney, I would say definitely try to get, you know, position. I got very lucky with not, you know, getting experience through uh, through the de- through the prosecutor's office, through a prosecutor's office or, th- or, through le- or through legal aid. And I would say definitely, definitely start taking all the, you know, the criminal trial workshops in law school and then try to get a job as a prosecutor or 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 legal aid or in the domestic violence bureau you know or you know or community justice initiatives or in, you know in, in any one of the neighborhood defender services of Harlem or any of the arms of the criminal justice system where you can gain that experience to see exactly what it takes and then from there to see if you have the chops to go out there on your own and do that because you can be the greatest lawyer in the world but you know can you get clients, right? Because mm-hmm. when all is said and done, that's a that's a huge part of it too. So yeah, well, what are some ways for a uh, up and coming lawyer to start looking for clients? Is there like a like a job website where like <laughs> well, where, like, so, like I'm searching for criminal defense yeah, attorneys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like know? where where is that? Is there like a Craigslist? Yeah, for like yeah, lawyers. Yeah, I mean that's always the, the you know the age old question. For me, for me, I had gotten I, I you know growing up in this growing up in New York. The way I first got into it is somebody I grew up with got got busted with a gun, mm. and mm. I didn't know what I. And they called me, you know, the, the 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 local neighborhood, the guy from the neighborhood who you know happened to be a lawyer, and asked me if they could, if I could represent them. And I told them, I said, Yo, I, you know, I'd rather have you talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. 
So I referred the case to somebody who knew what they were doing. I was super green. I referred the case to somebody who knew what they were doing. I said, yo, let me help. Let me at least earn my referral and go to court and be a part of that. And then from there, it started growing mm. off of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you start getting, you know, from there, the word of mouth starts happening. Mm-hmm. But there are ways, you know, through advertising and, and the like, yeah. um, you know, you know, to get clients. Create yeah. a jingle like Salino and Barnes. Salino <laughs> and Barnes, injury attorney. Yeah, right? We need well, a some so cheesy Mark- that's a very dirty attorney. One eight 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 eight. We have to play the real one later. Yeah, yeah, no, for real. Our outro song. No, So yeah, I mean, I was always curious, like, yeah. Is there um. Because, you know, are there like trade magazines amongst lawyers about like, hey, this guy was able to win this case? Yeah, there is the New York Law Journal, I think, you know, okay. will have like, you know, re- you know, recent developments in the law, you know, oh, wow. like different different rules on search and seizure, different, you know, uh, you know, you know, what department ruled on, you know, um, on a DWI or the like, you know, like this is this is applicable. These, you know, this is the new way to test, you know, this type of narcotic or, and, and like to see if the substance is so that so the law is always evolving. Right. And, you know, you got to keep your skills, you know, you skills sharpen. There's what's known as CLEs, Continuing Legal Education. You know, the bar who licenses all attorneys, they make attorneys take X amount of hours of classes every two years to keep their bar license active, right? You're supposed, and it's really, you know, f- to get some, to get some, <laughs> some pesos money, money. and stuff. So I try to take classes involving, you know, criminal law to keep abreast of the latest issues and the like. So you'll go, you'll, you'll go and see, you know, something about search and seizure. You'll go and see a judge give a lecture about, you know what, we ruled, this department ruled X, Y, and Z that these, that these rule, that these laws are knowledgeable, that this is how DNA is to be captured, that these are the mm. proper procedures of preserving DNA and the like. So you keep going to those classes, I guess just to, you know, Obviously, if you if you're going to be forced to pay for something, you might as well do something that you know helps you you know keep your you're keep your toolbox sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that. Yeah. So for the upcoming kids who want to be where you are, what are what's going to be the hardest thing that they're going to face? The hardest thing that they're going to face is the personalities that you have to deal with, like anything in life, right? Yeah. Because you're going to like in anything in life, there's some nice people, there's some dicks, there's mm. some you know, aggressive people, there's some type A people, there's some passive people. There's, uh, you know, as, as in, in sometimes, right? There are people can, uh, accused of committing crimes, and they aren't as forthcoming as they should be. Mm. Um, so there needs to be, I think, a level of, you know, of intelligence as far as you know the streets are concerned. Um, you know, as far as you know, you have to have some intuition uh, with respect to that, and also. Like anything else, building a business and you know knowing you know knowing knowing your value, knowing what you what you're worth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you may want to not you know may, you know maybe scared of asking a you know a prospective client for a certain fee, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you may undersell yourself with that mm-hmm. fee just to get mm-hmm. the money, yeah. and then you know you end up doing you know you end up doing thirty hours of work when you only got you know when you really only got you know they only you only agreed to you know for them to pay you ten hours worth of work. Yeah. That becomes you know and that's they call it the practice of law. You've heard that term, right? <laughs> because every day is a pra- you're practicing every day on how yeah. to figure all that out. Yeah. Right? And yeah. that's and that's uh, you know that's, that's a gem right there. Correct. You like that one? <laughs> I pulled that yeah. one out. Yeah. So, uh, what is one, t- like, if, I, you know, maybe you, you, you might not have to, because, you know, never say never, right? Mm-hmm. But what would be an example of a case that you would feel morally 
uh, uncomfortable on taking on. I mean, especially I can, nowadays with all these sexual allegation cases yep, that are coming out. Yep. You know, according to what we discussed earlier, they have a right to be defended as I well. Had, I had a prospective client come to me with respect to, you know, some, some sexual abuse allegations involving a minor. And for me, it was just a little too much, the allegations. Whether I believed the person or whether I didn't, I just thought it was going to be a big hassle. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for me, that was a no-brainer. I said, you know what? Regardless of what the money, that the money could be good, and the like, I just don't, I don't want to get involved into the discovery, meaning the evidence that the people have, you know, the people meaning the DA's office. I don't want to even get involved into that. It was going to be emotional. Not that that person didn't deserve, the, the, you know, uh, an effective defense. But for me, a good part of being a private attorney is sometimes you can pick and choose what cases you want. Mm. So for me, that was just too much. Whereas a legal aid is just... Legal aid, they're, they, they, they're taking that case. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 They have no choice. They don't. Right. They don't, you know. Obviously, gotcha. there's some, you know, some, you know, conflict of interest, like, right. you know, things and the like. But when all is said and done, someone's going to be representing that person. Got you. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. So stuff. for me, that was a little too, a little too heinous. Mm. Yeah. Idea about yeah. Okay. Uh, what is one regret, if there is one regret that you have, Josh? Um, professionally. You, uh, professionally, personally. I would say. Well, whatever. Uh, selfishly, I should have done that friggin' frat in college. Yeah. <laughs> I should have jumped on that frat. Full circle. I should have done that frat, man. Yeah. There was some oh, people. Man, there was some people getting rich for no reason <laughs> out there. But whatever. Yeah. Um, and professionally, I I, I would have thought, you know, I thought, I guess with respect to criminal defense, that I would have, you know, that I should have, you know, applied myself a little more in law school. I'm going to give an excuse as some extenuating family circumstances. But even so, I should have been able to overcome some of those and not been as bitter mm. about that, that you have to, you know, I, that you have to know that, you know, people make mistakes and people and people fuck up. And yeah. life is as cliche as it sounds. I know I've been saying that, that life is hard and that people... Yeah you know, are making decisions at the time that they think are the best, you know, for you and everyone involved, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And so not, you know, to not feel sorry for myself yeah. as much. Yeah. Well, I kind of want to end it on the happy note, not Let's on regret. Do that. Yeah. What is your proudest achievement? My proudest achievement is with respect to building two careers unexpectedly, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to something that started out kind of with, this, with the sports, to something that started out as an idea and to really see it grow and flourish, yeah. um, you know, and walk. It's not fully, you know, walking like and running, you know, like, yeah. like it should, but, you know, you're seeing the baby steps and you're seeing it moving in the right direction. And then with the criminal defense to, you know, be able to practice, you know, in, you know, in a field that, you know, uh, I'm happy with, to not have, to have learned a lot, you know, through making connections and, you know, like anything else in life, through through forging the right relationships um, and, you know, to, without having that experience of either legal aid or a prosecution's, a prosecutor's office to learn a craft and to do it well, you know, to have, you know, to, to have your own practice and, and, you know, to do it well, to make a living, to be able to really help people. And, you know, I was always scared of every day of getting up and going to the same office every day and, I'm you know, and having the same, you know, Groundhog's Day routine, and I'm yeah. very glad that that's not the case here. So I would say that selfishly, that's my proudest achievement. Awesome. That's great. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to add, Josh? Nine hundred percent, man. I am glad to have. I am flattered to have been your second guest on the Six Ninety Nine Podcast. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Once again, yeah. shout out. Hundred percent, man. 
to Mr. Josh Stevens for joining us for the $6.99 per pound podcast. Uh, I mean, if I have any uh, impending cases in the future. I'm going to plug myself. It's Josh Stevens with a V, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-L-A-W.com. So it's JoshStevensLaw.com. And on Twitter, you're Josh Stevens. I think I'm on Josh Stevens NYC. Nice. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know. Instagram, I'm Joshua Stevens NYC. Yes, yes, yes. Everybody, make sure you follow him and harass him. No, we mean not harass him, but ask him. Six ninety nine in the house. Six ninety nine per pound. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you, guys. Bless, bless. That was amazing. Hey, yo, it's six ninety nine per pound. Podcast.